This is Jack Dempsey. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is PJ Alex, your friendly neighborhood podcast host, and I would like to introduce you today to absolutely friggin' no one. This is what I like to call a solo dolo episode. Um, had a little fun there, uh, and that I sound nerdy as fuck. So life and times, but I just really wanted to give you something every week, and I'm working on it, guys. I went out, bought a brand new microphone that actually travels a lot easier than my other mics that I have. Uh, for recording. And uh, in this episode, I really want to, one, give you my review of the new effort, the Fist Studio album from Titty Boy, Half a Player Circle, Two Chains, the uh, Rap or Go to the League album, executive produced by LeBron James. And um, I then want to give you kind of like news anchor style. I want to give you your stories of tech and media for the week. And uh, just so you guys have something, we're not necessarily here to discuss, and I say we, meaning me, myself, and I, I'm not here to give you my discussion topics on it. I'm here to break it down for you why it means something and why it should be part of you being in the know. So we are here to entertain and educate, as always, here at the Virtual Dubness Podcast, and uh, I really want to... Get into it. So let me give you a quick rundown of what we're talking about this week. I already told you, Titty, <laughs> Titty Boy, Two Chains, his album Rapper Go to the League. Then we're headed into talking about uh, the Momo Challenge and how it has frightened parents everywhere all across the internet. Uh, a special tribute to a fallen legend, and uh, a little bit of insight of why we need diversity in tech. And I'm giving you you an illustration of it so sit back relax it should be a shorter episode i don't know how long it's going to be yet but it should be shorter uh shout out a couple shout outs before we get into the podcast one if you guys have not checked out the last episode with two hit points justin and mike um who are twitch streamers and good friends of mine from college uh they i just was actually watching their stream before i started recording tonight Awesome guys, talented at video games, and just fun to be, fun to watch, fun to hang around with. So we had a, a bunch of great discussions last week that led us into a, a number of different topics. So please go ahead and check that out. Second, LeBron James, as I'm recording this, just hit his uh, 14th point of this game that helped him surpass Michael Jordan on the all-time scores list. So, shout out to him. Happy for him. And uh, that's it for uh, church announcements. Well, not church announcements, but that's it for uh, your announcements and shout outs for today. On with the show. So, first up, we are talking about Rap or Go to the League, the fifth studio album from 2 Chains, a.k.a. Teddy Boy. And it's actually... Executive produced by LeBron James, the fourth all-time leading point scorer <laughs> in basketball history. And it talks about a, a lot of his growing up, uh, his life, especially since if you didn't know, 2 Chains actually was a, if you've never seen the guy, he's really tall. He was a talented basketball player. He went to school on a scholarship for basketball. Um, and I actually believe he graduated 
even though he talks about a lot about his drug dealing and everything else he's done, but being an athlete and a drug dealer, I believe he does have a, uh, I believe it's from Alabama A&M, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> but he's a smart guy, a talented guy, and uh, this album really kind of shows it. It's a great effort. It has some great features. It is 14 tracks long. I believe, personally, it is a tale of two albums, the first half versus the second half. Literally splitting at track seven, I believe, personally, the second half is better than the first. Um, as far as features on the album, we have Marsha Ambrosius in the lead track, uh, Young Thug, Travis Scott, Kendrick Lamar, Ariana Grande, um, Ty Dollar Sign, E-40, Lil Wayne, Chance the Rapper, and Kodak Black. Uh, very, like I said, good features. Very good production throughout this album. He has some crazy samples that I really enjoyed. So I think you guys will enjoy that. So just give you some of my uh, thoughts on this album. Starting with some of the features that I was... It kind of pulled my ear. First feature that pulled my ear was Young Thug. And I hate to say this. This is my hot take for the evening. I think Young Thug has lost his, his, his luster. I really think Young Thug's gimmick is gone. I believe Young Thug has run its course, and we found people who can do what Young Thug does better than Young Thug, a.k.a. Travis Scott. A lot of people are going to say how you put them in the same category. If you listen to what Young Thug is good at, and that's sounding different, being distorted, using that distortion almost as a instrument himself, Travis Scott does all that better because he's producing the track. It matches even better. It looks even better. It sounds even better. You can see that because they, Travis Scott and Young Thug tracks are right next to each other on the album. So, um, High Top, Versace's, Young Thug's, Whip is Travis Scott. Still not two of my favorite tracks on the album. A lot of people are getting... Um, a lot of burn from Statue of Limitations. Uh, it hits home a lot, Statue of Limitations, because he talks about Atlanta a lot. He talks about the areas that if you're from Atlanta, I'm not from Atlanta, but I've been there for over a decade. You know these places. You understand what he's talking about. And you're like, oh, well, he's kind of real. The Another standout track is NCAA. NCAA, he's basically pleading the case for these young athletes that are making money. You saw Zion last week. Zion Williams, or not last week, but two weeks ago, when his shoe blew out, it could have been all been over. And he's not making a dollar from that. Now, they do have contracts and insurance in case he gets injured because if he gets injured and blows out his knee, he will still get a check. But that's not the point. That's, and that's only one of a few players. And he is an exceptional talent. So he talks about it on NCAA. Uh, the Kendrick Lamar feature, I wasn't a big fan of. This isn't my favorite Kendrick Lamar feature. He usually brings his own unique spin and turn to the album. And I think he tried to do that, but it just hasn't grown on me. It has not grown on me. The Ty Dollar Sign track, I think, is going to be his first single. He actually, and this was something that was very cool. He's actually sourcing Instagram, saying, hey, listen to the album. You guys 
tweet about it. You guys Instagram about it. Post about it. Comment on my stuff. What should be my first single? Which is a, it's cool. It's a, it's a very cool concept because it makes you feel like you're part of the process. Um, we kind of saw this with Drake and Kanye kind of like beta testing albums on us. But this is in uh, chance a little bit. This is something a little bit different. And I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate people trying to jump out there. So, <sighs> so Ariana, uh, Ariana Grande's song <laughs> on the uh, on his album "Under Rule the World" actually has a sample on it from an A. Marie song. Now, if unless you're from D.C., you probably only know two to three A. Marie songs. This one. It is definitely a sample, and it, it it sounds great. Once again, his production on his album is good. It's very good. And it's just enough nostalgia for 90s and early 2000s R&B and mid-2000s R&B and, uh, and, and to, to give you that great feeling. So I don't know who the producers are, but I sure that you did stuff that you've done he's very good at making you feel invested in a song where it's just like yo this is a good song i can listen to it whether i'm driving whether i'm in the club whether i'm in my house or whether i'm working not necessarily working out like a meek but just to have around Uh, i'm always a sucker for e40 track and e40 feature I'm, Wayne is actually rapping like Wayne. I, I like I said, he's. I appreciate him doing what he needs to do to sound somewhat coherent. My favorite track on the album, though, is "I Said Me." "I Said Me" is basically him, in a way, bragging, but also being true, saying, "My daughter asked me what a drug dealer would was, and I said me." He's not running away from what he's done in the past, and he's not running away from what he is going to end up being, and that's the man he is today. He's had a sordid past. He's gotten through it. It's still a part of him. I appreciate that. I also appreciate that there are two samples in there that are absolutely nuts. One is from a musical, and one is from Lonnie Liston's uh, Lonnie Liston Smith sample that both Jay-Z used for Dead Presidents and Meek used on Respect the Game. The musical he sampled is from The Sound of Music. And both samples work really well in conjunction with each other. I enjoyed them. It's an enjoyable album. I actually think I'll be listening to this for a while. I've been caught up on mainly Meek's album still. Um, I have not listened to the uh, Solange album yet. That'll probably be on the next episode that I'll record. I really want to get a, a woman's take on it because I know that album is not meant specifically for me, but it's meant to connect to women. I've also heard it's kind of strange. So I appreciate singing i appreciate artistry i appreciate r&b i appreciate 
what Solange does. I don't think I've given her the greatest time of day. But, hey, I'm here for her. I'm here for anybody doing things new and creative. I also had to take a step back this week. There is a um, group, and I don't know if you guys have heard of them. Their name is Jazz Specs. They were a jazz ensemble of people from the AUC. Morehouse, Clark, not necessarily Spelman because it was all guys. (laughs) Um, But they are hugely talented, and and at least one of them went on to become one of the hooligans that is gotten fame from being with Bruno Mars. So I took a went took a step back and listened to their album. It's still fire. It has an early Janelle Monet on it. It has a guy who's now a councilman in uh, Chicago of Bashir Jones. It has an early early uh rendition of one of my my close friends who uh sang under the name of sincere on the album and it's still to this day one of my favorite tracks so if you guys needed something else if you guys are a fan of jazz go ahead and check that out so any of the jazzpex albums so that will conclude our music portion and so i'm going to grab some water and then I'll be right back to talk about tech. You miss me, guys? I'm back. <laughs> One of these days, when I take these breaks, I promise we're going to have, like, commercials. Commercial breaks, sponsors, all those fun things. But uh, in order to do that, I actually need more people to listen. I need you guys. I need you guys to tell friends. I need you guys to let everybody know that virtual dubness is a thing and it's happening. And if you need or are interested in music, technology, or media, come on through. Come through and enjoy. So, this week, I wanted to talk about a couple of things that have been happening on the interwebs. One of them, and the main one, being the Momo Challenge. Momo Challenge was something that kind of popped across all of our timelines, whether it was Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. One with this creepy-as-fuck-looking character. And what it said was that this character was popping up and being spliced in to kids youtube videos so videos of peppa pig and toy unboxing and all these weird things that kids once they get a hold of a your phone and they're not playing games or asking to download games but if they're on their ipads or whatever and it's just in the kids section it was supposedly popping up and telling them to do terrible things like hurt themselves hurt their friends hurt their parents and it was an it was an article that looked like something plausible and the internet being the place that it is where things can run wild it took a hold of everybody's imagination it took a hold even to the point where people were saying oh yeah i heard about this my child told me there was something creepy that popped up eh Not so much. After doing some digging, after doing some 
investigations on the internet, the first thing that was found out is that the creepy character was part of a Japanese um, performance art thing that had just been out there. And it, it, yes, still creepy as fuck, but the company itself definitely had nothing to do with this hoax. The next thing that came out is that everything else around it was crap. And now there's been so many like people looking into this and people realize that really the only people who were fooled by this, unfortunately, were the people who are the parents, the people over the age of, let's say, 27, 28. Once you get over that barrier, nobody underneath of it believed it. It was a complete and utter garbage. Now. Are there things and sick things out there to target kids? Yes. Was there a big article? And this is another thing we probably should talk about at some point. And I want to get an actual parent's view on this. There was a a person on the dark web or some chat forums that were specifically looking for kids in compromising positions. That's fucking disgusting. And it was videos of like innocent things such as, hey, we're recording a kid's birthday party and it was a splash party and these kids are in bathing suits and these pedophiles and freaks were actually going and looking at them and it was linking and YouTube being YouTube, once you look at one video enough or a second video, it links you to more videos. So it was literally somebody telling these creeps how to do that so it would just feed more videos to them is that a real thing yes did youtube have to change the parts of their algorithm to eliminate the ease of doing that yes is there a creepy character going into kids videos and telling them to kill each other no so it's even kind of gotten to the point where people are now kind of running on the the other side of it. And YouTube has demonetized anything talking about the Momo Challenge and has looked into it themselves to say, no, this is just not real. Authorities from all over the world went into action to say, no, this isn't true. The thing that really elevated the story is that Kim Kardashian posted about it. It was a hoax. She got hoaxed. She has 129 million followers on Instagram. So as soon as she says something, it seems legit. So this is also on the heels of Slenderman, which was a very unfortunate thing. And and like I said, I'm probably scaring the crap out of a lot of people right now, but... To give you insight on Slenderman, Slenderman was pretty much internet folklore where it was, hey, I'm going to write this story about this creepy character. Somebody else read that story, so they wrote another story about this creepy character named Slenderman. Unfortunately, a very disturbed set of girls, I think at the age of like 14, 15, got a hold of these stories and believed them believed that Slender Man was talking to them. There's a whole Netflix 
and I believe HBO documentary about those, these girls. And they made a pretty terrible Slenderman movie. It just wasn't good. Um, but they, these two girls actually did attempt to kill their friend because Slenderman told them to. I don't know what to tell you, folks. Watch your kids. Watch what they consume. My parents did. I had I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons until I was friggin' hell <laughs> in middle school, high school. So, it, watch what your kids are doing. The internet can be a scary place, but it can also be a very informative and fun and intriguing place where they can safely connect. And be with other people that are like-minded to them. Other kids. It doesn't have to be all scary stories and bullying. Talk to your kids. I don't know if anybody who's listening to this has kids. Talk to them. Watch what they're watching. I didn't get away with shit because my dad was always with me. Not looking over my shoulder, but just genuinely connecting with me. So if you can't do that with your own children, what are you doing? Come on now, guys. All right. Our next story up. I guess that's the moral of the day. Our next story up is a tribute to a legend. Ryan Reynolds actually started this. It has been 25 years since the death of John Candy. John Candy is a comedian who had such an effect on the political, I mean, comedic landscape that it wasn't seen. A lot of people compare John Candy's work to the work of Joe Belushi, I mean, Jim Belushi and uh, Chris Farley because they all met with an end way too early. They were comedic geniuses. They were the funny guys of their time and just were absolutely ingrained and hilarious in their 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 craft. But unfortunately their addictions took a hold of them too early. And it's really funny that not funny but ironic that a lot that each one of them kind of idolized the other one as somebody who really understood it and really got their comedy comedy stripes in. So John Candy was in movies such as Stripes and Brewster's Millions, Summer Rental, um, Little Shop of Horrors, Uncle Buck, JFK, Canadian Bacon, but... I will always remember him for two movies that not only struck by struck my nerdy side, but also struck my, I guess, cultural sports side as well. I'm not Jamaican, but damn it, if I'm not cheering for the Jamaican bobsled team because of a movie named Cool Runnings, then I don't know what the hell I'm doing. He was Irv Blitzer, Irvin Blitzer, the coach of the, the first coach of the Jamaican bobsled team. Very reluctant. Hilarious movie that really had heart. Now, 
in the time we are now with the white savior complex and fighting the white savior movies, especially after um, uh, the Green Book won at the Oscars, is it another movie like that? Yeah, but damn it, if if I don't care as much because this Cool Runnings is one of my favorite movies. Another movie he played in much more comedy than drama or inspiration was Spaceballs. Spaceballs was absolutely one of my favorite movies. It is a parody movie of the Star Wars franchises. It has Rick Moranis. It has John Candy. It is fantastic. And if you can't appreciate good satire and ribbing, then I don't know what what you're doing there. So this was all started because Ryan Reynolds actually posted a tribute to him on the 25th anniversary of his death. Super unfortunate, but Ryan Reynolds took the time to recognize a comedic genius, and we appreciate him for that. So now, on a lighter note, this Friday (laughs) comes out the Captain Marvel movie. Highly anticipated. It is an origin story of sorts that that definitely ties in with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Avengers Endgame, which is the, the... finishing of infinity war so a lot of people are excited about this especially because spoiler alert the cutscene, the end scene of infinity war sam Noel jackson comes back shout out my morehouse brother oh before i forget it's the first podcast i can bring this up on congratulations spike spike lee Finally got his Oscar. He got it for adapted screenplay. He should have got it for director a number of times before this. But my Morehouse Brothers, and they had such an amazing moment on stage. I post about it if you guys follow us at Virtual Dopeness on Instagram or Facebook and Twitter. If you saw the moment that Sam Jackson was up there announcing the award and he opens that envelope, his immediate reaction was to scream the the house meaning Morehouse College, my alma mater. Those are my Morehouse brothers. And to see Spike run up, jump into Sam's arms, because they're good friends and Morehouse brothers. It was such a great moment for us. Such a great moment. Also, Brian Tyree Henry presented an award to the first African-American woman to win an Oscar in the in the uh, category of costume design for um, Black Panther, Ruth, uh, I believe her, I believe it's Ruth Carter. But please, if, I'm sorry because I didn't mean to talk about this today. <laughs> I, I'm I didn't want to mess it up, and that was such a great HBCU moment, Historical Black College University, because it was a Morehouse grad. Brian Tyree Henry presenting to a Howard grad of Ruth, um, Ruth, I believe it's Ruth E. Carter. And then um, the first thing that she did was thank Spike Lee because she had done the, she got her break 
doing the costume design for Malcolm X. It was an, an amazing HBCU moment, and I love it, and I will always support my HBCUs. So support your local HBCUs. <laughs> so I meant, so just threw that out there. But Captain Marvel, uh, Samuel Jackson at the end of the uh, Avengers uh, Infinity War, he makes a call using a pager, and it displays a logo. That logo is of Captain Marvel. So now we get to see who she is, where she comes from, and hopefully we get to find out how Nick Fury lost his eye and why he has the eye patch. Because in the movie, it is a prequel, he has both eyes. So I'm excited. If anybody out there, Marvel-wise, probably also excited, it's coming out end of the week. In between recording, I was actually able to go out, see the movie, and wanted to give you guys a little bit more content, a little bit longer of an episode, by coming in and giving you my review without any spoilers. It's going to be super difficult, but we're going to go ahead and try it. So buckle up, and my thoughts on Captain Marvel. So just to give you guys a little bit of background, Captain Marvel is the woman who is coming to save the day, we hope. At the end of uh, Avengers Infinity War, Nick Fury uh, went ahead, he he pulled out a pager before he got snapped away into existence and vanished into dust and made a call on this pager and all it showed was a picture. That picture was the logo of Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, the movie, takes place in the past, takes place before the events of Endgame. It actually predates, um, I believe, the first Iron Man and uh, predates everything except for, I believe, the first Captain America. So, falls right in line to give you her origin story. Just to give you a little quick synopsis, Captain Marvel is an extraterrestrial Kree warrior who finds herself caught in the middle of an intergalactic battle between her people and the Skrulls. Living on Earth in 1995, she keeps having reoccurring memories of another life as U.S. Air Force Captain Pilot Carol Danvers. With help from Nick Fury, Captain Marvel tries to uncover the secrets of her past while harnessing her special superpowers to end the war with the evil Skrulls. So... Uh, there's a lot to digest there. That is just the synopsis of the plot. And it takes some turns. It takes some twists. I've enjoyed that very much so. So, is this my favorite Marvel movie? No. Is it very good? I think so. Is it worth the unjust bias that I think a lot of people have had against it? I don't think so either. So, there's been a number of issues and problems coming to this and if you're not true movie head or movie nerd you may have missed all of them one there was an uproar because the original comic book captain marvel was actually a man and now it's been replaced with a woman so of course every troll from existence and every side of the comic book variety came out to yell and scream and curse Wow, why are you doing this? You're only doing this in the name of diversity. No, not actually. So the original Captain Marvel in the comic books was a man that 
then was in a relationship with a romantic relationship with the woman who becomes Captain, the second Captain Marvel. That is one thing that they are kind of blending here. And they, they handle that in a very good way in the movie. They actually make the original person who was supposed to become Captain Marvel is still very much so. Dr. Lawson is very much so in the movie. Just it's a woman instead of a man. And it's more of a business uh, relationship. I'm Once again, not telling you anything that's not on YouTube or Looper or any of the other pre-movie, hey, you have to watch this video before you get into the movie. Another thing in criticism is that Captain Marvel was black in the comic books. Yes and no. That was true, but not true. In the book, in the, in the movies, Captain Marvel, the, the woman who becomes Captain Marvel after the original Dr. Lawson, is co-pilots with her best friends with another black woman who eventually does at one point take over Captain Marvel. And then her daughter, who is actually in the movie, takes over Captain Marvel as well. That happens in a progression. They have opened the door for it in this movie because the movie is set in the 90s. It's set and there's a girl who I believe is about eight or nine years old in the movie in 90... Five. So fast forward to current times, she could very well in the next movie, phase of movies, set of movies, take over for Captain Marvel to become or a whole nother character because that character actually evolves through several different um, several different iterations of this character's that character and everything else. Um with that being said, I think that clears up all the kind of things around it. There's also this weird spiral that people are keep comparing uh, Captain Marvel to Dragon Ball. I, I don't know where that's come from and why that's come from, but uh, you guys can kind of do it on your own. It, it Based on characters and things like that, nicknames. But anyway, on to the movie. The movie itself, I really enjoy. Like I said, it is an origin story. It is no different of an origin story than when we got with Black Panther, even though Black Panther's origin story had its own, it, it was less of an origin story and more of a what is happening now to get you to this point. Um, but the original Iron Man, the original Thor, the original uh, Captain America all gave you that origin story. Here's how we got to this person being able to do the things that they can do. And very much so, it gives you the backstory. I like the fact that they kind of bounce through times. That can be um, kind of interesting from time to time. And it allows us to see an evolution of one Captain Marvel, one a backstory of Nick Fury, which Nick Fury and Agent Coulson are both young in this part. Um, seeing Sam Jackson's hairpiece is just kind of terrible, though. They could have gave that man a better hairline. I'm, I'm sorry. But <laughs> seeing Captain, seeing Nick Fury, his origin story, and the beginning of S.H.I.E.L.D., and the beginning of the different things that, that lead you to um, what's going on now in the original Avengers and everything, is fun to see. Uh, for all my fans of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. out there, there's a lot of intertwining with um, the events and things that happen across the different seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've kind of lost the Inhumans, the, the show Inhumans 
only ran six episodes and it was done terribly. And I'm sad because one of the main actors in Inhumans was a guy who actually most people know him as Ramsey Bolton and hate him as Ramsey Bolton uh, from Game of Thrones. But he also starred in a show called Misfits, which was a British kind of like heroes almost. And it was excellent. And Misfits, the last season or so, were just so-so because they kind of leaned too much into the drama of the show versus just cool superpowers and what they could do with them and, and help each other out with. But still a very good show. He was a very good character in that. And so I hate to see him kind of stumble. But that that had more to do with them screwing it up than than his, his, his character play. But anywho, so if you've enjoyed... The intertwinings with the Kree on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the television show, you get more of that here. You get some explanations of what happened here. Um, You also get some backstory and characters from other movies, Guardians of the Galaxy and um, a bunch of other things that kind of explain, oh, that's how that happened. That's where he came from. That's what he was doing before this. I love that, and if you appreciate the, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the fact that you're able to get so entwined in, oh, this is coming from here, this is going from over there, you get more of that in this film. And if you appreciate that, you'll appreciate this film. The post-credit sequences lead us down the path toward Endgame again. And also, I don't understand this, guys. We're like 150 movie Marvel movies deep right now. Marvel movies, TV shows, everything. Why do people still get up after the after the movie ends? Like there's not about to be one, possibly two post credit sequences. Are y'all stupid? Are y'all simple? Come on now. And I, I'm not even talking to the people listening to this podcast. Tell your friends to to, to get their lives together because clearly. The message is not being parlayed. Anywho, if you are a fan of Marvel, if you are a fan of this whole story arc getting to Endgame, which comes out in a month, this just does nothing but prepare you for it even more. It's not spectacular. Like You're not going to come out of it and immediately probably want to watch it again, but a lot of people did, and I'm seeing a lot of different reviews on it. Um... Myself, I actually want to see this again because I think there's different Easter eggs and stuff that are missed. Stanley's cameos are awesome. They do. They pay homage to him. They pay homage to a lot of things. There's a lot of really cool hidden Easter eggs in here that you're going to enjoy. And if you you you're probably going to miss them the first time around, but the second time around, you're definitely going to catch them and pick up on them and appreciate it even more. Is this? Going to be the, the end-all, be-all Marvel movie? No. Is this a great lead-in to Endgame? 100%. So I, it, it puts out there even more theories of how Endgame could happen, who's going to survive Endgame, and how we're going to be able to enjoy this massive, massive undertaking that was this story arc. And sets up probably more for the future with introducing new characters, introducing new ideas and themes, and introducing new worlds with really in 
investigating what is going on with the Cree, investigating what is going on with the scrolls, investing time in knowing what's going on. So, plus, I love Sam Jackson. He's a Warner House brother, and I appreciate him that much. So, before I wrap up this section and uh, get you guys back into the podcast that I recorded previously, hopefully I can do some nice, cool editing tricks here. But um, I want to send a special happy birthday shout out to a member of the Virtual Dumbness family, Gold Member Reef. Sorry I could not come with you to Dubai, but have an excellent trip and enjoy, brother. So, and now back to the uh, regular show. So now on to our last story. And like I said, I'm going to try to keep this brief. Why? Because it's just me. And I don't know if you'd want to just hear me for an hour. If it works out, let me know. Um, <laughs> last story is kind of a double-edged thing. This is a Business Insider article, but it's also been published in a number of other places, and I've actually heard it in another, uh, a good number of other places, about self-driving vehicles having a harder time detecting people with darker skin. Seems like something that would be simple to fix, but it's not. And the reason why things happen like this are truthfully because there aren't a lot of people of color in these spaces to have these technologies tested on them. Any person of darker skin complexion can talk to you about how annoying it is to walk up to one of the self-sensing sinks and put your hand under and it doesn't see your hand there. It does not. You have to wave your hand. You have to hold it in and out. It's really freaking annoying. But it's a simple thing like that is that the people designing these are in Silicon Valley. They're at Georgia Tech. They're in China. They're in Japan where there aren't darker skinned people. Now we've translated to self-driving cars. Self-driving cars is actually a health risk. If a black person, if a black child is walking across the street, if a brown child is walking across the street, a brown person is walking across the street, and a car doesn't see them, what is going to happen? So, what they are noticing, and it was actually, I brought up Georgia Tech because it was a Georgia Tech study that has actually figured this out. And said, hey, it's the way they're testing it. They're not testing it with darker skinned people. It's not intentional racism. It's an oversight. Because you don't have these people. And a lot of times we've heard the conversations that, oh, how does Gucci put out a, a, a blackface sweater? How does H&M or whoever it was, or Hermes, or Hermes, or whoever had the new sweater, how does that get past everybody? How does the coolest monkey in the jungle on a black kid's shirt get past people it's because 
black and brown people are not in these spaces to have that second look. So, I say all this for two things. One, diversity in tech is important. How do we get to diversity in tech? It's a number of things. The people who are diverse in technology, one, have to look out for other people who are diverse in technology. They have to encourage programs in schools in the inner city, in schools in areas that are not traditionally ones that are, are supporting technology and STEM education. They have to get into it. Those resources have to be brought to those areas, period. Another way we have to attack this is that when we get in these areas, you can't just dismiss people. A lot of people, and this is speaking from experience, you feel like you're on an island sometimes. I'm fortunate that right now I work for a company and on a team that is extremely extremely diverse. We have people from all across the spectrum, from rural America in a technology firm, from, from middle America, from the coast, from in the city, from outside the city, from dark skin to immigrant to African to Indian to Asian. I feel fortunate that I work on a team like that, but I still see in the higher ranks, it's not always there. We have to be fair to everyone and have these conversations to say, hey, why isn't there a person of color moving up? And is it because there's a natural bias or is it because they're not qualified? And if they're not qualified, why aren't we looking for candidates that are as qualified? So things like this don't happen. It is a bias, a cultural bias that is unnecessary. Because you don't think about these things. If, and it, it's not intentional. <laughs> it's entirely not always, it's not always intentional. There is some intentional stuff out there too, but it's not always. Think about it. Let's have these conversations. So I think that's a good place. I think that's a good place to end. Um, as I'm getting ready to sign off, I'm looking at uh, Jordan Peele's, the, the trailer for Jordan Peele's new movie. It is one creepy son bitch. Not even gonna lie to you. <laughs> so, the movie's called Us. It looks creepy as hell. I can't wait. So, thank you guys for coming and listening and enjoying another episode of Virtual Dopeness. I tell you guys all the time, tell a friend to tell a friend. We're here. We're here to stay. We're a family, and I appreciate every one of you. Follow me. Follow us, virtualdopeness.com, at PJAlex on Instagram. I mean, on Twitter, and at PJAlex1911 on Instagram, Virtual Dopeness on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And uh, I think that's everything. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I'll deliver a copy to your house if you want me to. 
if you live in the Atlanta area <laughs> or if you live in Pittsburgh right now, catch me before I get out of here. I appreciate you guys. Like I try to sell you every week, be virtual and live 